Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 148 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is December 13th. 2010 getting near the end of 2010 we've got a great show for you though this week on the podcast lots to get to we want to talk about the uh, usc college football awards that they handed out at the usc banquet last night and a lot of questions from you guys we've got some voicemail questions in a lot of email questions if you have an email drop us one podcast at uscfootball.com an email question that is or if you can leave us a voicemail at 206-888-6755 you can leave your voicemail there we'll play it on the air and answer your question. Uh, we have special assignment for Harvey Hyde this week. Uh, the coach is going to Vegas, which he, he frequently does, and so we're not going to have him on the podcast this week. We'll pick him up next week, so we'll have uh, a little bit of time, to talk a little extra time to talk with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber this week. Dan, how you doing? Hey, great. Uh, kind of a, a sudden stop to the season, so we're trying to get used to to the uh, you know sort of decompression I guess they're uh, having the season end in uh, early December for the Trojans. Yeah, it's a little different. We're used to being uh, maybe Home Depot Center doing bowl practices or wherever. It's something. Usually you got something going on, and uh, now you know it, it's it's a focus on recruiting for the staff, and that the players can kind of just focus on their finals and finish up school and start up fresh again next semester. Yeah, it might be just as well as, as going to a, uh, you know, not so great ball. Although I guess the, the Trojans might have, uh, you know, with the season, uh, ended up at the Holiday Bowl in San Diego. Might not have been the worst, uh, you know, way to end the year. Uh, but uh, it probably just as well. Uh, focus on, uh, you know, next season and, and the recruiting. Obviously, they're off to a big, uh, big start so far. So uh, uh, kind of. It's different, but uh, a, a different way to look at things. Certainly. Well, let's uh, let's get to some of these questions. Like I said, Coach Harvey Hyde uh, is out this week. We we missed you last week, Dan. Hopefully, you're doing okay. We've had uh, you and Gerard both have dental issues <laughs> on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, there's wisdom teeth. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. When you gotta have them out, you gotta have them out. Ugh. Cool. Well, I hope you're feeling better. And uh, this first question is from Bill. And it's actually for Coach Harvey Hyde, but I think you can answer it as well. Here's Bill's question. Hey, this is Bill, and this is a question for Coach Harvey Hyde. I'm just curious, at the end of the season like this, do most major programs conduct an audit or review of the past year's operations and try to figure out what they did right and what they did wrong and where they need to improve in coming years? Uh, Just kind of curious, and also would like your uh, assessment of how SC did last year. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Enjoy the program. Take care. Bye. Well, I, you know, they should. Uh, and that's a good question. We haven't uh, been through an end of year, uh, you know, session with, uh, with Lane. And, uh, I think, you know, it goes without saying that, that they do that. Uh, we certainly will, uh, do a little bit of that. Uh, I think last, uh, Monday we, uh, kind of looked back and, uh, looked at, uh, more defensively, I, I know, uh, and said, uh, 
probably we would have liked to have seen USC. Uh, we talked about that uh, Lane seems to be somebody who learns from his mistakes. Uh, what we wanted to see him do a little bit more on all, on defense is learn from their uh, successes and uh, do do the things well that uh, that they did well and not go away from them uh, as much on defense. That you know that it seemed pretty obvious from from. Uh, uh, spring on that uh, they could play one way on defense, which was uh, play fast, play all out, uh, play aggressive, uh, go get them. Uh, not with a, you know without a lot of uh, uh, experience. Uh, they, this wasn't a team that could uh, mix up uh, coverages and disguise them, and uh, you know play uh, real sophisticated uh, you know adjustments that uh, maybe you might see it in the NFL or whatever. Uh, actually, this week, uh, probably going to take a look and see uh, uh, how, if you go back over the season on offense, uh, maybe uh, uh, there were times when they really looked, uh, you know, prepared and understood what they could do with this team, and there were times that you wondered, uh, you know, are they are they sure uh, exactly uh, what they what they should be doing with it? For example, you end up at the 13th game. And you still have four tailbacks listed as possible starters. Uh, you know, uh, probably by game 13, you ought to uh, be able to uh, uh, have uh, some idea who your starting tailback should be. Uh, and if you decide, you know, this is the guy or this is, these are the two guys or whatever, you you really need to probably be able to, you know, get the team to move in that direction. Uh, for example, it was kind of a frustration. Uh, uh, for example, uh, you go into the Notre Dame game, still haven't uh, had Dylan Baxter throw a uh, throw a pass from the Wildcat yet, and uh, you know finally he does, and he's two for two for the season as it turns out, and what have you. But but he finally threw, threw a scoring uh, a touchdown pass. Um, uh, just little things like that. I think they they need to look back and say. Uh, you know, what is going on here? They need to look back. I think this is the second year in a row where Matt Barkley kind of uh, uh, seemed to, you know, hit the wall and then, uh, and then you know, come through at the end of the year. Uh, you know, he, he made it through, but he certainly wasn't headed up. You know, once, uh, once they got through the Cal game, uh, didn't look like, uh, you know, he was, uh, you know, at the, after the Cal game with 20 touchdowns and four interceptions, he's like a – a friend's Heisman Trophy candidate, uh, people were talking. And then, uh, uh, you know, that wasn't the case the rest of the way. And uh, I think they need to do some analysis there as to, you know, what did happen here? Uh, how does the offensive line, for example, have, uh, uh, you know, such a great performance uh, just, you know, three games before the end at, at Arizona where they, you know, run the ball and against a good defense and just dominate the line of scrimmage, and then uh, just not be able to get the job done the next two games and and, and really kind of ugly losses, uh, and then you know they're able to run the ball again in the in the UCLA game. You know how does that happen? What the the inconsistency there? I think uh, is the kind of thing I think the audit really would if you're going to take a, an audit and look back uh, as to. Uh, because I think one of the things, you know, I, I think I probably talked about this a little bit, was that uh, I think a lot of people liked the fact uh, that Lane was pretty plain spoken and, and, and straight talking when you would ask about uh, 
things that happened during the year, and he was not hesitant to tell you uh, what happened. What we didn't hear uh, very often was why it happened. We would we would hear uh, you know Lane without any hesitation saying uh, you know the shortcomings uh, uh, of any part of the uh, you know any part of the game, but uh, we didn't hear the kind of analytical. Um, you know, explanation as to exactly uh, what the decision was in terms of uh, why weren't you able to run the ball, for example, or why weren't you able to, uh, you know, get get something done which you expected to be able to get done. And uh, I think that's got to be part of the uh, the analysis of the audit of the season. And we're probably going to try to, when uh, we get Lane home, uh, you know, when he's not on the road recruiting as much as uh, as is to have a sit down with him and 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 really try to ask Lane for that uh, you know that kind of an audit you know as to you know himself uh, and and what his coaches because I think basically probably uh, the whole staff hasn't been together since uh, you know since after the season uh, the way they're the way they're going about you know recruiting uh, and. Uh, uh, I think certainly the first dead period would be a, a, a time uh, to do that when uh, when uh, you got the whole staff together and uh, everybody's able to take a uh, you know take a look back. But uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll try to do that for sure on the on USCfootball.com. So we'll uh, see. But like like Dan said, they're all scattered around right now recruiting, and they got picked up a bunch of commitments. They and we're going to talk about that later on the show with Gerard Martinez. So definitely they're. They've they've used this time well since the the season's ended to pick up recruits and stuff. So, uh, well, and I think they're answering the question for everybody. Uh, and we kind of talked a little bit about it uh, in the war room last week as to uh, what what number are they going for? Uh, they're going for the big number, whatever that big number is. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't think they uh, they realize that they you know they have to have have the full class this year. And uh, you know what the appeal, the NCA sanctions, and what have you—they've got to to get loaded up, and then uh, they'll see what happens after that. But I don't think they're going to try to finesse, uh, no. you know, the number <laughs> or try to you know under uh, you know uh, hit the low number or anything like that. I think they've decided you know they can't go through another season where um, where they're so limited in practice. Uh, you know, where if you need to work on uh, uh, live tackling. Uh, you just have to be able to work on live tackling, and uh, so we'll see uh, uh, what what exactly those numbers are. But they're not going for the you know the low numbers and trying to get ahead of the you know the sanctions or anything like that. I mean I, they're not trying to you know trying to adjust to them. They're trying to get ahead of them actually, and then uh, deal with whatever happens later uh, later. Cool. All right. Well, let's uh, we got a question from Major Ed Gibson. Uh, so thanks for your service. Major Gibson, and he wanted to know, he said, in the years past, there seems to be a spark plug player on offense and defense, a player that would get in the other players' faces and get them fired up. He's only seen one player this year or last that did that, and he felt it was Stanley Havili. He thinks the team missed that player in the huddle, guys that can get up for the third and fourth downs, things like that. Who do you think, uh, do you see these, this player as their role in the future? Uh, as much as a leader as Barkley is, he's too nice of a guy to kick his teammates in the ass is, is what Major's saying. Um, plus, they need one on defense as well. Who do you think a couple of guys that could step up and play that role, Dan? 
I think on uh, I, I think on defense, uh, I think uh, Chris Gallipo, uh probably uh, has more ability to do that. Uh, he's been around. He's done everything. Uh, I think he's uh, he's you know got gotten himself to a point where he's not you know uh, maybe as uh, limited by uh, by his back as he was uh, you know a year ago. Uh, I think uh, T.J. McDonald, in, in a lot of ways, attitude-wise, certainly has the ability. Uh, whether he's got the, uh, you know, outgoing uh, personality when you talk to him, he certainly has the ability, uh, you know, to to be that, you know, to be that guy. Um, you know, and you may end up with a guy as young as he is, uh, having played as a freshman all the way through, as Nikhil Roby uh, might end up being that kind of a guy. He's certainly not bashful um, and, and not afraid to do it. And it's got to be, you know, a guy who plays a lot, and it's got to be a guy who's just totally uh, totally fearless. Um, uh, trying to think uh, anybody else on defense. Those would be my candidates probably uh, on defense. On offense, uh that's an interesting question. Um, they haven't for the last couple of years, even with Stanley, uh, they haven't had that guy on um, uh, as much on offense. And, and it may um, may have to be Barkley, uh, and, and that may come again with uh, it might not be the kind of thing that you do when you're a freshman, even when you're a sophomore. Uh, but you may really, uh, you may really need it. You know, it may need to be, uh, may need to be Barkley. Uh, the more you, the more you think about it. Uh, uh, just I mean, clearly he's the out. only real leader on the on the offense right now. Maybe like a Mark Tyler or someone could step up. But it almost has to. When you have a guy that started for, you know, it'll be his third year at quarterback, you almost have to have him as your leader. And you don't hear that. There's, they're kind of the silent guys uh, uh, that just aren't the kind of guys that uh, you know that do things uh, as much with their um, uh, vocally. They don't. You don't hear them. Uh, you know, they're not the vocal uh, the vocal kids exactly. Uh, uh, and I guess that's not been the case as much on offense. The defense, you absolutely do need that guy that, that grabs them and. You know, tells them what you know what for, and they've had you know very often more than you know one or two or three, uh, and uh, so uh, that's been a difference actually. If you look at the way uh, the personnel has lined up over the years, those guys were here. I mean, I I tell people you know the first day uh, at uh, I ever saw USC, you know, I got to beat uh, was it nine years ago and. Uh, for Riverside Press Enterprise, and then just came down in a July day, and happened to see, uh, uh, you know, see him working out in the summer, and there was uh, Troy Palomalu uh, running the defense, and Carson Palmer running the offense, and uh, uh, they were very much in charge, and that was their team, and they were both going into their senior years, and. Uh, they weren't going to mess around and you know screw up their senior years, and uh, uh, that's a high standard uh, for those uh, for USC teams. But I think that's the, that's the standard you need uh, to be uh, USC football, and that has not been there uh, without a doubt. I don't think it was there last year, uh, and it wasn't there this year. And uh, I think that's some of the things that they have to develop. I was thinking about this the other day: is that 
I think uh, I'm really starting to just very strongly believe in the idea that you have to understand that you win with players, not with plays. And it's not so much necessarily the recruiting of them, but the willingness to turn the game over to your players and to let your players win games for you and for them to know that it is up to them, that they are the, you know, they're going to, it, you know, it's not going to be you're going to win because you got the genius play call or you got the you're doing something nobody else is doing, but that you have guys who, when it comes down to it, they're going to make the play and uh, they're going to, you know, I think they've got to get back to where they play. Uh, you know, one of the things they took great pride in in Pete's early years was that they were going to be playing faster then you could play against them. Whatever they were doing on offense or defense, they were going to do it faster and with more confidence than you could do anything about stopping it. And uh, I think they've got to get back to that. They're not going to necessarily, we're not going to be, you know, Oregon's not beating people because they're smarter than people. They're beating people because they basically can execute. uh, They can do what they do faster than you can do what you need to do to stop them. And they do it with confidence, and they do it with toughness, physical and mental. And I think USC's got to get to that point where they are, uh, you know, we can we can out-execute you. We can do it uh, at a high level of, you know, speed and confidence, and uh, and, and and we're going to turn the game over to our players. And they're they're, you know, we trust our players to, um, uh, you know, to win the game and to beat you. And uh, I'll be interested to see how that develops over over this year. I think at times maybe uh, coaches try to do too much and they try to put too much pressure on themselves, you know, and feel like you know we've got to come up with something to win this game, or we got to do this, or we got to do that. I think what you got to do is you got to get your players to the point where they, you know, they're going to win the game, and then when the game's on the line, they're going to make the plays. And you know, you got to get players to become playmakers to make those big time plays, and to believe in themselves and to believe in one another. That they all have that sense of we're we're going to be the playmakers and we're going to make the plays. And uh, <clears throat> I think that needs to be developed a little bit. I think they got away from that uh, uh, over the last couple of years. They maybe. Uh, they had that one really uh, ridiculously talented uh, group of, you know, that went on to the NFL, the linebackers uh, with four starters out of one class and all that. And I think they kind of uh, almost were dependent on those guys and their talent level and some of the things that needed to be happening, uh, especially on offense for a while. And then, uh, you know, this year we certainly saw it on defense. You were, you know, you kind of lost the uh, ability of players to just know, you know, somebody like a Lofa Tatupu or, uh, you know, a Matt Grudigan or, or one of those guys was just going to make a play. When you needed them to make a play, they were going to absolutely, positively, uh, you know, make a play. And uh, I think ooh, that hasn't been there uh, as much uh, in the last couple of years. And uh, that, that's where they have to get, I think. I agree with you there, Dan. Uh, all right, well, next question we got. It's another voicemail question. This one has to do with Matt Barkley. How are you guys doing? This is Antonio from the Far East. Uh, well, I just want to ask, uh, this question is for Coach Harvey. Do you think, after seeing uh, Matt Barkley, that, you know, I think he might have a, pro- might have a problem with uh, 
his passing, you know, his passing ability when it comes to patience or just seeing and reading defenses properly. Because I'm seeing that his interceptions have increased towards the end of the season, especially in the last game with those two interceptions. Um, and also, just want to say that uh, I think the season ended in a pretty good note. I think we have some things to look forward to with some of the young guys and hopefully with some of the good recruits. You guys keep up the good work, and uh, let's fight. Let's try to get it next year. All right, take care. Well, let's see. I I think that's a, you know one of the key questions I have to answer. It's one of those why questions. Uh, uh, you know, why do you see the you know Let's face it, uh, you can't see the field any better than Matt saw it against uh, Cal, for example. Now, Cal, you know, uh, a, a more, you know, traditional look that they always seem to line up and match up well against. But uh, honestly, uh, the way they were playing, uh, you know, he just was throwing the ball and seeing the field and doing all those things. He will never admit that. There's ever any, uh, you know, probably obviously he couldn't with the ankle uh, act like there, you know, nothing, uh, you know, nothing was bothering him physically. But there are times when when he doesn't seem to be releasing the ball the same way. There are also times when he clearly tries to uh, win games with his arm. Uh, you know, it, it, it seems almost like a, you know, a reverting to some of the things that that you know he did. Uh, uh, at modern day, when you know, here's a kid. You go into a program like modern day, uh, you know, a high school that's produced two uh, uh, Heisman Trophy winners, and with you know, big time uh, program over the years that they've had, and you're starting as a freshman. Uh, you're starting a lot of it because of uh, attitude, and you've got an arm, and you can, you know, throw, you know, and a lot of times he he basically. Um, uh, tried to make plays with his arm, and uh, I think there are times when he he goes arm first, and he knows uh, kind of he has an idea where he wants to go, and uh, doesn't seem quite you know to be able to uh, uh, you know look at the entire field. He doesn't look like he maybe sees everything, you know, down the field and uh, and sees all the possibilities. I mean, there were, you know, earlier in the year a couple of times where he'd throw interceptions on first down in the red zone and uh, uh, instead of throwing the ball away, for example, because he made a decision to, you know, turn it loose way too soon. Um, you do wish you had an idea uh, toward the end of the year you know why he uh, he didn't seem to be seeing the whole field. Why would why would he uh, you know take a shot at the first guy when maybe there was somebody or why would you know there were times that where they had guys open uh, on deep balls uh, where they they wouldn't you know they'd go for a while without taking that deep shot, uh, which people weren't really uh, sure why you know with. Uh, with Ronald Johnson and uh, and uh, and Robert Woods, uh, teams were certainly trying to stop uh, you know the deep ball, but uh, there were uh, you know times when it was there. You know they you know they've got a touchdown and they just don't uh, hook up on it. And uh, uh, I think we really you know have to see. I mean maybe the other thing that we don't take into consideration, I think, is no matter what uh, you know he started as a true freshman. He was still a true sophomore last year, and uh, you don't see, um, you know, you don't see enough of that, uh, you know, where you see another guy who was a true freshman who, uh, 
I mean, uh, uh, he's got a full year starting, but still, he, he was as a, a true freshman. Where should he be as a true sophomore? And I don't think we know that uh, for sure. Are we asking, uh, you know, more of what a true uh, sophomore should be or where he should be? But the other thing is, when you start the year out and you make the kind of progress he did through the Cal game, uh, you do have to say, well, why does the progress stop? Is it strictly the other team, you know, getting uh, – uh, you know, getting caught up with him? Uh, was it, you know, did he get banged around enough in that Oregon game uh, to really, uh, you know, have some issues the rest of the year? He will never tell you that he does, that he did. He isn't going to ever give in to that kind of stuff. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, last year he had, you know, he would not tell you and wouldn't admit ever that he had any problems with his wrist. And then right after the season, you know, he has uh, some surgery on his right wrist. And then, you know, you, the next time you see him, you say, well, see, I thought <clears throat> I thought you had some issues with your wrist. And he said, oh, no, that, wasn't, that wrist wasn't bothering me at all. I, uh, 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 you know, I just had surgery on it, but it wasn't bothering me. Uh, and you just say, oh, okay. So we don't always know with uh, with Matt. He's not going to, you know, make excuses, and he's not going to, you know, uh, uh, try to say that, you know, well, I, I just wasn't feeling good enough or whatever. But um, um, I think, you know, his development, his ability to see the whole field, his ability, uh, now, I, you know, I don't want him to become an NFL quarterback as, you know, as a uh, as a college player because I don't. This is not an NFL team, and you don't want him playing like an NFL team. So it's a fine line, you know. You know, if you're going to play a pro style offense, you still want him to be uh, uh, executed, uh, you know, the way a really good college team is going to execute it. I mean, I still would like, for example, uh, to see more of what we used to see with the. Um, getting up to the line of scrimmage quickly and executing quickly and getting into their place. For example, what made the big difference in Allen Bradford's um, game against UCLA? <clears throat> USC decided they would come up to the line of scrimmage and go on first sound and go quickly. <clears throat> they, would, they also decided they scrapped the inside uh, zone play pretty much and they were running the outside zone where Allen uh, gets off to a quicker start uh, gets his feet moving quicker, doesn't you know run into as much traffic as he does inside, doesn't need to be quite as, oh, let's say, nimble-footed, uh, but just basically he's able to use his 235 pounds and just bust his way right through the, uh, you know, more of an off-tackle kind of a, a look, uh, an outside seam, which is the stuff they were running, if you remember, when they turned the program around under Pete with Justin Fargus, uh, and they were getting him outside quickly. Uh, and when he got healthy, the second half of that uh, of that season. Uh, so um, uh, you know, I think I liked it. You know, and there were other games when you saw him come up and play fast. I think the Cal game uh, was a good example of they did nothing but play fast that game, and they they Cal wasn't ready. Uh, and I, you know, but that's not NFL. Now that, you know, if you look at an NFL game, you don't see too many NFL teams that are coming up to the line of scrimmage and really hustling up to the line of scrimmage and trying to run, you know, run stuff quickly uh, because there, you know, a lot of emphasis on, you know, taking a look at the, you know, you got any checkoffs, you know, you got to call this out and you got to call that out and whatever. And, uh, you know, I my preference would be 
more, <clears throat> you know, playing fast, play, you know, executing, uh, using your talent, uh, playing with confidence. I mean, Oregon's not, uh, uh, you know, they may make it look like they're, you know, doing checkoffs and things like that. But Oregon basically, uh, they know what they're going to do. And they try to beat you to the punch, and here they're hoping you're trying to execute or you're trying to, you know, adjust on defense, while they, uh, while they uh, know what exactly they're going to do, and um, and they they basically keep you in your stance so darn long uh, on defense that by the time they run the play, they uh, they got to jump on you no matter when they do it. Uh, but but I'd, I'd like to see USC, USC go in that direction again. Start looking more like uh, like those early uh, those early peak teams were uh, on offense, uh, especially with the uh, you know the quick hit stuff and uh, uh, the the confidence and execution and the ability to go back and and keep doing the things you do well. For example, uh, you know it looks to me like USC uh, kind of lost track of uh, Robert Woods there after a while. Beat up again. He also got got racked up in that Oregon game. Which, when you think about it, if you think about that, both maybe Matt Barkley and uh, Robert Woods um, took some shots in the Oregon game. Maybe that's another sign of um, of where USC uh, needs to get physical again. I think teams uh, when they played USC, they uh, they paid a penalty uh, against the USC defense. You know, with the USC defense kind of being physical and i think uh clearly without any doubt uh oregon was the most physical team in the pac-10 this year and uh, i think that's got to be a place where this usc even with the you know lack of depth has to become uh the physical team in the pac-10 again couldn't agree more so. Dan. um all right well let's move on to the next question sorry that was that might have been a record answer dan i was <laughs> that's all right we we, it's always good insight we like that stuff um so Ed wanted to know, uh, he was talking about the running back by committee. You mentioned this a little bit before, but he said, if I'm not mistaken, up until Chauncey Washington left, Carroll always had a one, two, three back rotation with each back, with each back knowing where he was on the list. Uh, Ed feels Bradford should have been the number one back all year. Do you think we're going to see a one, two, three rotation, a very clear one, two, three rotation next year? You know, I, I would think there – they're going to try to do that. I mean, I think that maybe we emphasize too much, you know, the starting back. Uh, I would think the ro- the rotation will be. Uh, it would seem to me that it'll be three backs, uh, and and Mark, you know, Tyler obviously has to be your kind of multi-purpose uh, big back who's got you know finesse, and uh, you can use him in, in all sorts of situations. Uh, and I think. Uh, I think you'll rotate. Uh, you you have to get something out of Dylan Baxter. Uh, the idea that they went 12 games without ever really using him as a as a wildcat passer just is, is mind-boggling. Uh, the dimension that he adds to the offense, uh, especially in the red zone, when you've got him there with his ability to run pass uh, or pass run, maybe. Uh, uh, you know, I think we saw him. You know, we saw him show it a couple of times at Stanford. He got hurt. We also, you know, you know, saw it against UCLA and what have you. I just think it adds the dimension. You've got a non-option quarterback, but if you've got 
Dylan Baxter, you immediately, you not only have the Wildcat as your ability to um, give the uh, opponent a, a different look and make them prepare for that, but you've got a Wildcat where the guy in the Wildcat legitimately is a passer, uh, a legitimate run passer, and that makes Dylan Baxter himself a much more valuable guy. I mean, we're, you know, people will overanalyze it, but they'll say, well, he's not exactly a breakaway guy. He doesn't have the blazing speed or he doesn't have the, you know, absolute power or what have you, but <clears throat> he's a natural guy who can throw the ball on the run, and that's just so rare. And he's a confident and uh, accurate uh, passer. And uh, to add that dimension in the red zone of, of a guy who's a legitimate run-pass threat, I mean, that's what you want to be able to do in the red zone anyway, is put pressure on the defense with a guy who can you know, turn the corner, get outside, and now is he going to pass it? Is he going to run it? And you don't know. And then you have a third guy, and I do think uh, D.J. Morgan, who, uh, you know, was the outstanding uh, scout team player, you know, all year, even with a big knee break on. And we saw, you know, glimpses of his, you know, home run ability. Uh, I think that threesome <clears throat> would be a wonderful mixture, you know, of a one, two, three, each with uh, their own dimension each with the ability to complement one another. Uh, I just think from day one they have to be, uh, you know, with three guys there, but not like, well, we're not sure are we going to power run this game or are we going to run this guy 30 times and, you know, the rest of them 10. I just think they have to more have a sense of, uh, of we've got different guys who do different things and give us the ability uh, and and yet it's not going to necessarily give things away. I mean, it, if Tyler's in the game or Morgan's in the game, it doesn't mean necessarily you're not going to, you know, you're not going to throw the ball or you whatever. I don't think you want to do any <clears throat> any of that. But I do think once you get to the red zone, I think you know the Wildcat with Dylan Baxter is such a natural uh, additional dimension, and and I do think they need to be able to. Uh, you know, really take advantage of uh, Dylan's personal skill and individual ability to be a run-pass threat. And uh, and I think they, they need to make that so clear <clears throat> instead of, uh, like, you know, hiding it as a, as a uh, you know, because it didn't seem last spring like they were going to hide it. Then we get into the season, and it was like, you know, for all the reasons that Dylan, you know, off the field and as the different things that would happen, it seemed to... Uh, throw him back. I think they just have to make that something that they do the way Oregon does everything it does. Just something they do without even thinking about it. And and they've got to be on the offensive line. They have to have an offensive line that they can't just hope, uh, you know, is ready to play each particular game or oh, this game, well, they can't really be physical, but maybe they'll They'll finesse you, you know. They'll they'll finesse block you, you know. They'll just sort of get in your way or whatever. No, they this team on the offensive line, they've got to come out and and try to dominate people. And uh, uh, I don't think they ever went into a game where you had the sense of uh, that they knew they could do that. They might try to do it, and say, well, if we can't do that, maybe we'll do this, you know, or maybe we can't do this, maybe we'll do this. Uh Uh-uh. I think going into this season, 
they, they've got to have a sense of, uh, you know, what we decide to do, we're going to do. We're going to inflict our will on you. Our offense is, uh, we're going to make it happen. We're not going to, um, you know, just hope it happens. And that's what it looked like at times that, you know, with the rotation on uh, in the backfield, that they were just hoping that one of these guys would catch fire. And they weren't sure which one. And they weren't sure why. They were just hoping that, you know, you had them all in there. And, and to be honest, that's what happened. I mean, uh, uh, now you like it, the fact that uh, of anything, even though it was his last game, the last game they decided we're going with Allen, you know, and uh, we're going to make it happen with Allen. And they made it happen with Allen against UCLA. Well, that's what you want to see uh, where they can make it happen. I'd like to see them make it happen with uh, with all these guys. And uh, you know, I, I I would basically like to see a two man rotation <clears throat> with Tyler and uh, and Dylan Baxter, and then DJ Morgan, who will be get you know a, a redshirt freshman, getting his chance as a sort of a home run hitter uh, who. Uh, you know, gets a chance to to you know really uh, get in the game and 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 light somebody up uh, when they're not you know quite ready or they're maybe getting a little tired at the end of a half or something like that, and uh, and and take it all the way. Uh, but I, I that would be kind of my rotation. But I don't want the one where you have all four guys listed on the depth chart as possible starters for this particular game. Uh, I don't think that's probably a good thing. All right. Uh, well, we've got a few minutes left. I just wanted to kind of go over the uh, some of the awards that USC players won uh, at the Trojan football team annual awards banquet, which was held uh, last night, Sunday, December 12th, at the uh, Galen Center. So, um, Jarrell Casey, uh, defensive tackle, was the most valuable player, most inspirational player, was fullback Stanley Havili. Uh, Tyron Smith uh, and Jarrell Casey won the lineman of the year, Tyron on offense, obviously. Casey on defense, special teams player of the year, Chris Gallipo, service team player of the year, someone you mentioned, DJ Morgan on offense, and defensive tackle George Uko on defense, who I think we're going to see a lot of uh, in the next couple of years. Player of the game versus UCLA was Alan Bradford. He also got the Jack the Jack Oakey Rise and Shine Award for the longest run of the year. That Alan Bradford was also in that UCLA game. The Howard Jones Football Alumni Club Academic Award went to... Uh, what was that? Uh, Augusto Alonso. The, uh, Alonso, yeah, yes, Alonso. The mm-hmm. walk-on there. Um, Bob Chandler Award, which was the underclassman with uh, outstanding academic ability, academic achievement, and character was right, wide receiver Robert Woods. So that's a nice honor for him. John McKay Award. It's the underclassman with the most competitive spirit. It was also Robert Woods. Um, Joe Collins Walk-on Award. Tony Burnett, obviously, he got the start in his final game there of that season. The Courage Award, Christian Tupo. He's fighting through that, you know, getting back uh, from his injury. He'll be coming back on the field next year. Co-Lifters Award went to Christian Tupo and Stanley Havili, so that's nice for Havili. And, of course, the team captains were Barkley, Havili, Michael Morgan, uh, Malcolm Smith, and Sharice Wright. So those were the awards there, the big ones going, uh, you know, Jarrell Casey getting the most valuable player. Yeah, I think when you look at the uh, award list, you see some things that really get you excited and uh, uh, looking at the future and then some things to be worried about. I mean, I think um, uh, a number of the multiple award winners, you know, won't be back. You know, uh, Stanley Avili, Alan Bradford, uh, uh, definitely, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, 
you know, guys with, you know, did special things or leadership guys or, or whatever, um, uh, will definitely be gone. A couple of the others, uh, you know, could be gone. Uh, if you look at the, the, you know, the two outstanding linemen on offense and defense, you've got, uh, uh, both of them, Jarrell Casey and, and, and you know, and, and Tyron Smith looking at, uh, the possibility of, uh, of going to the NFL. So, uh, uh, I think, I do think, Jarrell not only won the award for his uh, uh, his, his play in games. I think he he won it because of the way he showed up at practice every day. And I think uh, uh, I think uh, during the year, I think one one time we asked Lane about that, and he you know said without a doubt, you know he is the guy who does show up every single day uh, uh, at practice. And uh, and I think the players. Understood that, and I like the idea. You know that that's kind of the way. Uh, uh, you know, he was evaluated. That, that what he did on the practice floor was also uh, very much uh, responsible for what he did in games. I think also if you look at it, a couple of those guys that, that were mentioned in there, uh, Christian Tupo twice and uh, George Yuko, didn't play this year on defense, and both of them are going to be available to play next year. And I like especially with Christian. Uh, the one thing I always wanted to see him uh, two years ago uh, was get a little stronger. Uh, and uh, obviously, if he's going to be one of the co-lifters of the year, I like that, uh, that he is, uh, you know, he's gotten himself stronger. So, uh, you know, Jarrell, you know, may uh, may not be back, but at least you're replacing him already with two guys who are already on the roster in UCO and, uh, and Tupo. So, uh, you know, I think... Uh, I think that's a good sign. Uh, somebody else, and we're going to check this out, uh, but somebody tipped us off that and I, I didn't see it in the announcement and, and they haven't looked it up yet, that uh, Robert might be the first freshman, Robert Woods might be the first freshman to win either one of those awards, the, uh, the McKay and the Chandler Awards, which would really tell you something about where does Robert Woods stand in the uh, kind of, you know, pantheon of USC greats. Uh, but uh, uh, obviously he was awfully special as a freshman uh, uh, but uh, uh, so some uh, some things about the awards that you that you can uh, you know take heart in and some others you might want to hold your breath a little bit and see uh, obviously uh, if both uh, uh, Jarrell and Tyron come back uh, uh, you know life looks very good uh, on uh, you know on both lines uh, you know for uh, for next year uh, if you can have both of your you know, uh, line MVP guys, uh, you know, on, you know, as returnees. Uh, so it's a big, uh, big decision, uh, you know, for those two guys individually and, and then, you know, for this USC program. And it's one of those decisions they both said 50 50 after the uh, um, UCLA game. And when you look at it, you can make the case probably equally uh, for them to stay and for them to go. I mean, it's not one of those ones where where you'll be totally surprised whichever way it happens and where you can obviously make the case that you have to, you know, go or you have to stay. I don't think the numbers are such that it's really obvious one way or the other uh, uh, which way, you know, it should go for them. And then you throw in the, uh, you know, potential lockout and, uh, you know, not getting paid and all that kind of thing. Uh, uh, and, and let's face it, I think they understand this USC team was three plays away from being, you know, 11-2. and two. 
and and a top ten team. I mean, there's no question about it. Even with all the things they went through, all the issues, all the you know depth uh, situations and all that, I think these kids know that you know, hey, we don't have to make very many more plays, and we finish uh, second in the Pac-10, you know, and we finish uh, you know in the top ten. Uh, and I think you look at that and you say, okay, if, if most of those guys come back. Um, you can make a case to be a pretty good team next year, uh, you know. Uh, so we'll we'll see how that all factors in. I, I when you talk to Jarrell, for example, you get much more of a sense of the idea that that would be pretty neat in his mind to be able to come back and and you know take a shot at, at the national championship possibly. Uh, and uh, so whether you know how that. How that kind of thinking, uh, you know, factors in, you don't really know, uh, but uh, it's certainly something to keep your eyes on. And I think Taron said, you know, he could make his decision up as early as by the end of this week. So uh, we'll see. It'll give us plenty of stuff to talk about in the coming weeks on the podcast. So we'll we'll find out where those two big boys decide to what they want to do. But Dan, we we went kind of long, but that's okay. We got a lot of good stuff in. There's always stuff to talk about. During the uh, off season, with you know, we're going to line up the spring ball and, uh, of course, recruiting season and all that. But we appreciate all your insights, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you again next week. And we haven't even mentioned the NCAA appeal. No, no, uh, we'll get to that too. <laughs> so we got lots There'll of probably be stuff. some news coming about that too. So uh, yeah, stay tuned, as they say. Stay tuned to that. All right. Well, thanks, thanks to you, Dan, and uh, everyone else. Back in thirty seconds, we're going to talk to Gerard Martinez a lot about recruiting and the recent rash of uh, commitments that the USC Trojans have got over the past few days. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We got our favorite recruiting guy in the world, Gerard Martinez, on the line. He's the best. Gerard, National Recruiting Analyst for USCFootball.com. How are you today, sir? Doing good. It was a long weekend of big news for USC. It seems like uh, the first uh, little snowball started to fall off the cliff of the avalanche that is becoming USC recruiting this offseason. Yeah, certainly. Uh, the the hits, hits kept coming, and then there's another one that, that popped up today from one of the official visitors uh, over the weekend. But, man, you had four verbal commitments over the period of a couple of days. It's pretty crazy. It is, it is. And um, it's something that we expected somewhat, I think, this weekend. Uh, we expected that there would be a couple commitments, and we talked a little bit about that in the war room Friday. But um, Friday got off to an interesting end, uh, a beginning to the weekend when George Farmer, uh, five-star receiver, number one receiver in the nation, one of the top uh, 
couple players in the nation, really, the top player in California committed to USC, kind of had a left field. Obviously, a lot of people felt like USC was the team to beat for him throughout the recruiting process, but the timing of the commitment definitely uh, it just surprised everybody a little bit, and he decided he wanted to get things over with and um, go into his last game at Sarah High School, playing in the Southern Section Championship against Royal Grande, and know that you know he was going to be a Trojan and that uh, he was going out in a high note and the last time he was going to see a lot of his classmates and teammates there at the field uh, he wanted to uh, let them know that he was going to be staying around local for another four years so that was a big big uh, start to the to the season of uh, recruiting for USC and then it kept rolling from there yeah well, I got to talk to him a little bit after that game and he was all smiles really happy and you know he told us on numerous occasions that he wanted to wait till the Army All-American game and and announced there, but you know, just said that it was time he needed to get it, you know, get it over with. And um, they they go through a lot, you know. You got guys like us calling them, and uh, a lot of coaches, and there's just a lot of people trying to find out where they want to go to school. And you know, sometimes the pressure they just want to get it over with. And it, you know, I commend him. He just came out and said it after the game. I thought it was a good place to kind of announce his commitment. You know, sometimes people. Uh, you know, they take they look at it the wrong way when a, when a kid calls a press conference and p- puts the three hats out there and stuff like that. But I don't think there was anything pretentious about what he did, and it just seemed like it was well done, and he was really happy when it was over. Yeah, it was very understated, and I think um, the only unfortunate thing for USC is they definitely want to make sure that everybody knows that uh, they got this commitment, and it's it's highly publicized. And when you do it kind of at the end of the week and it's late at night. I think a lot of people are coming in Monday morning and are just realizing, hey, holy crap, you know, Farmer is now a commit. Is he really, did he really commit? And so, um, you know, we have to kind of uh, do, we'll do you know, a couple more stories on him. And obviously, I think he's going to be one of the spotlight guys there at the Army All-American practices when we're there in San Antonio and get to see him playing uh, in the same offensive backfield as DeAnthony Thomas, Cody Kessler, and Victor Blackwell. I mean, that's going to be really fun to watch and see how those guys mix together, see what the chemistry is like, and just see how they play together and perform so um it, it was definitely significant it's a huge piece of the puzzle for usc uh, they're up to 20 commitments now and it doesn't look like they're slowing down at all no certainly not no local kid to me uh <laughs> for from miracosta high school i did I, I feel bad i haven't even gone to one of his games yet this year but usc got a, a commitment from a, a south bay guy not too bad yeah, J.R. Tavai, who's a 6'2", 260-pound uh, defensive lineman, also plays a little bit of tailback and fullback. Uh, really good player. He was the Western Division CIF Defensive Player of the Year for Maricosta uh, as a junior, and is definitely going to make a, a lot of All-State teams, I think, his senior year because he had another really good year. Uh, definitely kind of a player that's off the radar. Uh, went to the offensive and, lead, uh, and defensive line camps for USC over the summer and prepared and, and did really well there. It sounds like the USC coaching staff kind of kept an eye on him from there on he had some great issues and still had some work to do in the classroom and i think they're waiting and waiting and at this point feel like he's done well enough uh his first semester of his senior year to take a gamble on him but this is a kid who projects really i think as a defensive tackle nose guard uh you talk to him a little bit after his commitment and he definitely prefers to play on the defensive side of the ball when you watch him on film that's definitely where i I think he shines the most and a lot of people kind of ask about you know where does he fall in this class i mean is he a guy that 
is a sleeper recruit? Is he a guy that fits a role that USC really needs to, to have with, you know, kind of the scholarship situation and, and, and not having a lot of depth with their scholarships? Uh, or is this a guy that, you know, is just really a star player that's completely gone off the radar? I think he's a guy that falls in the category of really being your, your pro- prototypical sleeper prospect. I think he has a lot of potential. I think when you look at defensive linemen, we talked about this on the Peristyle podcast before, with California – Defensive linemen do not come out 6'5", 300 pounds. You see that a lot down there in the southeast. A lot of the guys that are top-rated recruits on the Rivals 100 that are defensive tackles are guys that have that big size. They are that 300-pound body. But the truth of the matter is, in California, you really don't get a lot of kids like that. You get kids who play multiple sports. So getting 300 pounds and just focusing on football is not really what they want to do. And if you live in Maricosta and you, you play volleyball and you want to play a little, you know, be on the beach and look good for the girls, you're not going to be 300 pounds. Uh, but I think J.R. Devine eventually is going to be a guy who will be playing around that 290-pound range and playing defensive line for USC, and really, this is a really, really good pickup for them. I, I think this is one of those guys that in past classes USC would have definitely looked over to go out of state and you know recruit somebody from Georgia or Texas, but uh, these are the kind of kids that end up at Boise or Idaho uh, or Nevada, and they end up being guys who get drafted in NFL, so a very, very good pickup for USC in my opinion. No, I agree. It's a, he is a sleeper, and uh, if you just read the article we had on USCfootball.com where you put some quotes in from Sarah coach Scott Altenberg, I mean, that says it all. I mean, he's, he's a very productive player that people would have to scheme to try and, you know, <laughs> to figure out what to do when he's on the field on both sides of the ball. So I think that's a, a really good pickup for USC. And a guy, like you said, probably wouldn't have got uh, in years past. We got some questions that are going to refer to that too, but I wanted to get through all the guys too. Uh, Wiley is a guy actually just committed a little bit before uh, Tavai did. Maybe you want to talk about Wiley a bit. Yeah, Zay Wiley actually committed last week at some point, and uh, the news broke uh, on our Arkansas site, uh, hawksports.com, and really didn't get a lot of detail as to kind of why that news was coming out or, or where it kind of sprung from, uh, but that kind of set the table, and Isaiah Wiley is not a guy that's a very talkative person, evidently. Uh, we no. try to contact <laughs> him on several occasions, and could not make contact, and finally we got a hold of his coach uh, at uh, Southwestern JC there in Yuma, and, um, and and he was able to confirm, yeah, you know, he's already committed, and, uh, you know, Joe Barry came in and, and did the in-home visit, and, um, and one of the big issues for him and Arkansas was he needed another class uh, to get in the Arkansas that he didn't have to take for USC. So being able to come in as an early enrollee, and uh, he's you know expected to enroll in January, uh, he just decided you know what I mean. He enjoyed his trip to USC enough that he wasn't gonna you know have to take another class to go to USC. Um, there's some type of issue with a math class that uh, a lot of the SEC schools require uh, that USC doesn't require, and it's not an additional math class so much as it is. I think the difference between college algebra and statistics. I think with USC, um, it's not a, a a vocational school. It's not a school that um, is really a, a, an engineering school. Uh, I know you you know majored in engineering, Ryan, but it's not necessarily like a, a Cal Poly or, or, or Texas A&M where they're requiring you to take a, a certain type of math class. I think statistics is, is able to transfer um, from a JC to USC, and I think that was the difference between going to Arkansas and going to USC. I think he had the statistics class, but he didn't have the actual algebra class. So 
Decides to go ahead, commit to USC. Uh, like I said, another early enrollee, 6'1", 185 pounds, very physical uh, defensive back uh, out of uh, West Monroe High School um, in, in, in when he was coming out as a prepster um, and uh, was, was fairly recruited you know, by SEC schools then, uh, but didn't make it academically, and so he ended up at uh, Western uh, Community College there in Yuma, Arizona, and uh, is actually the teammate of Aaron Douglas, who's the big offensive lineman that USC is also recruiting uh, the – former Tennessee offensive tackle that was a freshman All-American in the SEC and is now at the Yuma uh, Western Arizona Community College. So we'll see if that helps uh, get uh, Aaron Douglas to USC because obviously he may be you know one of the bigger bit gets uh, that the Trojans are after at this point right now with uh, offensive line. You know they need numbers and they need quality uh, talent there. Well you mentioned offensive line and there's one another one that broke today so yeah I get my text message from you Gerard that you know boom oh uh, David Garnis, another offensive lineman, uh, got all offered a scholarship, was on an official visit, and verbally committed to USC. Yep, David Garnett, uh, 6'5", 290-pound offensive tackle, actually played center guard and offensive tackle uh, his last two years at uh, San Francisco City College. Uh, so it really, a guy that's versatile, can come in, uh, was a full qualifier out of high school, but played in Alaska, so nobody really saw him, nobody really recruited him, and really flew under the radar that way. Uh, so he ends up at San Francisco City College. He actually had offers from Washington, uh, got a late offer from UTEP. He started to become a little more of a prospect uh, to a lot of colleges, later in the season, and USC was able to get on him first, and, and really for a while there over the summer, really the only school recruiting him hard, so they got out ahead of him, uh, evaluated him well, and he's going to be a guy that can uh, also come in in January, so he's going to be there for spring ball, and they need that. They need guys who can come in, bodies that can come in uh, for spring football, and be able to give that offensive line a little bit of depth, so um, he's another big get for them. Obviously, the offensive linemen are, are going to be crucial for this class uh, to be successful, and really to, to, to help USC from this point forward. All right. Well, let's get to some questions. Now we got those four verbals. I don't know if we ever had to talk about four verbal, four verbal commitments, like at this point in the recruiting season uh, at, in one podcast, but that was a pretty cool thing for, for Lane Kiffin. They season ends and they hit the recruiting trail hard. Uh, we had a couple questions, one from Brian, one from JD that mentioned um, Thomas Tutagi, uh, a guy that, that did get an offer. What, what can we talk? What do we know about Thomas? Thomas Tatagi is a 6'1", 230-pound inside linebacker uh, who just uh, was uh, offered a scholarship by USC a couple weeks ago. Um, Joe Barry came in on the in-home visit and, and spoke with him. He's actually a full qualifier, qualifier out of high school as well. He played at Chula Vista High School. So like David Garnett, was a guy that just really was overlooked in high school and uh, ends up at uh, Southwestern Community College excuse me, in, uh, in Chula Vista and um, is a freshman. So he actually has... Uh, four years to play three still. Um, so he's a guy that has a little more eligibility than your average junior college recruit. And um, he took an official visit to USC this weekend, uh, talked to his coach a little bit. His coach really raved about him, his leadership skills, and just you know being a guy that uh, really they were pretty shocked that he fell through the cracks and ended up at the junior college level. We haven't been able to talk to him directly, and he's been a little elusive as well. Uh, the JUCO prospects are kind of a different breed when it comes to uh, you know trying to contact them and track them down for information. Washington's also in there, and he took an official visit to Washington uh, when Washington played UCLA uh, last month. And um, Steve Sarkeesian actually came in on an in-home visit right before uh, Tatagi ended up taking his official visit to USC. And it seems like Washington's definitely there, and they're definitely a player for him. I think that uh, he went up there 
really had a good rapport with a lot of the coaches up there and and, and his coach kind of mentioned uh just you know him feeling like he had a lot of uh, a, a lot of people that he could relate to up there um pretty big uh you know Samoan community up uh, in uh in Seattle and, and Washington uh, has a good tradition of Polynesian players just as uh, USC has. So it kind of got on him first and kind of got their foot in the door. And uh, he visits USC this weekend. Obviously, USC's got a real need for linebackers. And, and, and that's a guy that could come in and, and probably compete uh, for a starting job early on. And uh, you would think logically, wow, you know, I mean, he'd be crazy not to go to USC. But uh, right now, I, I would not say that he's a done deal for USC. I think that uh, Washington is there, and they're fighting for him. And uh, we're going to have to see how it goes. He's an early enrollee, uh, just as we've you know, spoken with some of these other guys like Wiley and Garnett. Um, and he's, you know, capable of signing December 15th, which is Wednesday. And uh, they have basically the early signees, the early enrollees have from December 15th to January 15th to be able to sign. So they sign between that period, and we'll see, you know, uh, what happens. And, and if he uh, signs early with uh, with USC uh, or Washington, or he kind of waits a little longer into after, you know, the New Year. So that's kind of the latest with uh, Thomas Hoggy at this point. All right, great stuff. And then, J.D., I had a follow-up on Marquise Lee, uh, George Farmer's teammate. He said it looks like he's waiting till signing day. Is that a bad sign? And actually, I mean, we've talked to him before, and he seems like a guy that just really did want to wait and was going to wait all the way up to pretty close to signing day, if not on signing day, to sign with somebody or announce where he was going to sign. And I asked him, you know, just after the game briefly, talking about what, you know, George Farmer's commitment meant to him. And, you know, he was really happy for it. He was really happy for George. And, you know, they've talked about being a package deal and stuff before. But it didn't seem like it was going to let him affect his decision all that much. He still wants to wait. And, uh, you know, he obviously could still end up at, at USC, but he wasn't going to jump to any conclusions or, or make any kind of rash changes just because George Farmer committed. Everybody wants to jump the shark on Marquis Lee, and uh, I think you know when he was given his scholarship offer from USC, there's a lot of people putting it out there that he was going to commit right away and expect for him to commit right away. And you know, two weeks he's going to be a Trojan. And I think throughout, if you really listen to Marquis. None of that has really been true. I, I think the one guy that's been consistent is Marquise, and I, I think his interest in USC, you could see early on, was, was not significant. I think he likes USC. I think um, he's enamored with the idea of playing with his teammates, Robert Woods and George Farmer. But I think he also is thinking about maybe striking out on his own and, and kind of making an own, you know, his own name for himself. And uh, and throughout, you know, basically what he said has has stood the test of time. I mean, he personally has not been quoted as saying anything that that he's you know kind of not done and not followed through with in terms of his actions. Um, so you know, he's still going to wait it out. It sounds like USC's in there. It sounds like Oregon's in there. And it, and I don't think you can put expectations on him so much. I think a lot of people want to do that, and they they expect him to do this, and they expect him to uh, to to kind of follow through with the recruiting process in a certain way. And the truth of the matter is, he's kind of kind of you know uh, I hate to use uh, the, uh, the 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 same uh, references uh, we did uh, for Manti Teo a couple years ago, but he kind of rose his own canoe. Um, you know, he strikes out on his own, and he and he's doing his own thing. And I think a lot of people just attach him with George Farmer's name and think, okay, you know, basically whatever George Farmer does, Marquis Lee is going to closely follow, and this is not true. It's just not happening. He's talked about that and been pretty open with with his own, you know, decision, and I just don't think that you can expect him to do any one certain thing. You know, I think that Oregon's going to be there. 
USC's there. I think um, if there are any expectations, at least for me, the only expectation would be I think he wants to stay in the West Coast. I, I don't see him going cross-country to Florida or to Miami, especially at this point in time. I, I just don't think, especially with what's going on with Miami and Florida as far as coaching changes, uh, that would really make much sense. Um, so I, I think it really becomes uh, a, an Oregon-USC battle. Cal's there, too. They did officially visit Cal, George Farmer, um, Jason Gibson, and Marquis Lee. Uh, both, uh, they all officially visited Cal, and Jason Gibson is – probably going to end up at Cal. So that's probably a, a dark horse for it, but I think it's uh, Oregon and USC, and I don't really think you can necessarily say he's leaning one way or the other. I think it's better just to kind of take a step back and, and just see what happens with him. All right, and then uh, we got a question from John. Uh, well, I can appreciate the difficulties of recruiting quality players while SC is uh, saddled with crippling NCAA sanctions. I'm very disappointed how the current staff has lowered its standards. Wow, pretty harsh. Uh, but he, he went on to talk about, you know, maybe uh, a few of the defensive ends that are verbal. Two of them are three stars, one four star. And, you know, that he wanted Coach Orgeron to be going after the biggest and the best. And, you know, because he's a tenacious recruiter of defensive linemen. Maybe kind of talk about that. I mean, I don't think it's a thing about they're lowering their standards, but they're definitely opening up the possibility of getting guys that, like we talked about, Tavai, you know, that, that could be sleepers, that could be really good product prospects that, just aren't ranked super high by the recruiting, you know, by recruiting services like rivals. I would only say that uh, first and foremost, stars don't mean a lot. I mean, there have been players that have come to USC from out of state who have been five star guys that did not necessarily uh, play to that billing. Uh, some of them have been complete busts, and there have been local guys that uh, have been, you know, three star guys that have come in and, and done, you know, great things for USC and been stars and been all Americans. It, it goes both ways. I really think. You've got to recruit locally. I think it's more of an issue. It's not about standards. It's about you know who you're going after and how you project and how you evaluate. And I think um, it's it's two part for for the staff. I think a the sanctions definitely um, kind of push you and kind of steer you in a certain direction with your recruiting. I think going out there to South Carolina and Alabama you're spinning your wheels a little bit with those players because there is uncertainty with the sanctions. There is uncertainty with the appeals process and the future of USC football. Um, I think for those guys out there, with, with that in their mind, it makes it that much harder to get them to leave home when they could stay home and maybe they're in a situation that's more stable, at least in their eyes. With local players, they're on USC. They know the coaches, they see what's going on day to day, and they can understand that, uh, you know, the, the, the sanctions are sanctions. They're there. Um, they've definitely uh, hurt the program, but I wouldn't say they've crippled them. I mean, obviously, look at them right now. They've got a top five recruiting class. I mean, this is where we kind of need to take a step back and take a breath. They've got a top five recruiting class right now, and they're probably going to get even better and better because they've got a few guys out there that are leaning USC that are guys that are four or five star type guys really more of a four-star uh, caliber. I, I think, you know, more five-star guys is going to be kind of a wait and see. You know, maybe there's somebody that comes out of left field for them. Um, but, but solid four-star guys nonetheless, and that's still going to raise uh, the average and, and the score of the total class. So they're doing really well. I think it's really wise of the staff uh, to 
kind of build that sense around Southern California and really focus on guys. Like you said, J.R. Tavai is a guy that, you know, I mean, maybe the last app doesn't look at him because they're focused in Texas or something. And this kid, I mean, you watch him on tape, he has the potential to be a really, really good player and a guy that contributes. And the truth of the matter is, I don't think you want a bunch of four- and five-star guys all over the roster the way Pete Carroll did it because the truth of the matter is, a lot of egos were having to be handled there, and I think you were juggling egos uh, as much as you were coaching. And I think you have to be able to you have your marquee guys, you have your George Farmers, and then you have to have players that know their roles, know their assignments, and you can build around them. Guys who are blue-collar, guys who understand that, hey, you know what, maybe I'm not going to play as a true freshman, but that's okay. I'm still going to work hard. I'm still going to contribute, and eventually I'm going to earn my way onto the field. I don't just expect it because I was a great player in high school, and I think that's one of the biggest issues that USC had in the past. I think it's an issue that, fa- that faces every big-time program that recruits well. Really, when you start winning, you start getting kind of greedy, and you start reaching out. And I think Oregon's going to go through that same process, too. Alabama's gone through it. Look at what Florida's done. Florida had an amazing class last year, an amazing class both offensively and especially defensively. And they really, really were terrible this year. And you wonder, you know, all that talent that they had, how could they be as bad as they were? I mean, really, quite frankly, I think if USC and Florida played this year, I think USC would have beat them. So, you know, you're, you're talking about all this talent and the, the lowering standards and, you know, these guys are not recruiting five-star guys anymore and what's happening. I think you've got to be smart if you're USC. and you really got to focus on guys uh, that are local. And I think if they win the local battles and they really do their homework and they find these guys that slip through the cracks and end up at Boise State and they're playing for USC, they're going to be okay, and they're going to be happy, and I think that's really one of the major parts of the program as well right now, it's just the disposition of the program, so um, in short, I, I don't think it's really an issue, I, I think it's uh, maybe a positive that uh, now they're having to go out and, and get guys like Cody Temple and guys like Charles Brooks and guys who are able to come in and fill the roles, and, and then you're able to have those guys that are playmakers and, and give them the ball when they need to get the ball, and you don't have, you know, seven different five-star running backs uh, in the offensive backfield, and you've got to kind of, you know, placate their egos yeah very good point Gerard I, I agree I mean it's uh it's kind of cool seeing that the average star would be above four which was crazy no one ever else was doing that in the history of rivals when they, they'd rank all the different schools and stuff but I think you're right you got to get some kind of good mix in there and we'll, we'll see I mean I, I like the way Lane Kiffin and them have hit the ground running here with recruiting and as soon as the season end ended I mean they picked everything up and just have four verbals over a weekend it's pretty crazy yeah, and trust me, it's not like they're not looking abroad and they're trying to get guys that are, you know, uh, J. Davion Clownies of the world. And, I mean, they're going out there and they're, they're recruiting them and you're going to see them on the recruiting trail uh, trying to land all those guys. But, uh, I mean, this is a different year. This is going to be a really big class. And I think you have to really align it a certain way because you're not just looking – okay, what can these guys do for us next year? But this is going to be a big class that has to kind of withstand the next two, three years of scholarship sanctions. So I think that's really the big issue. And, and so you have, to, you have to be strategic. And I think that's one thing that more than anything, when you're talking about recruiting and you're talking about how good USC is recruiting, having Lane Kiffin as the head coach and him being a guy that was a recruiting coordinator, I think he understands the bigger picture of everything, and he's a lot more clever than your average head coach when it comes to recruiting. And I think being a great salesman as a head coach in a recruiter is great. You know, Mac Brown's a great salesman, Pete Carroll, a great salesman. But I think Lane Kiffin, more than being a great salesman, is, is very strategic, and he understands, you know, the chess game that's going to be played over the next couple of years with these scholarships. All right. Well, Gerard, great stuff as always. We had a lot to discuss, and I'm sorry for everyone else if we didn't get to your questions. We'll, uh, 
try to send them in again, podcast at uscfootball.com. We'll do our best to get them in next week. Oh, man, we even had a voicemail question. You know, Jordan, you want to do a quick voicemail question? Bring I, it on. I completely forgot. So this might be our longest podcast ever. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. Sorry about that. But here's a – we got one last question we wanted to get to. It's a voicemail. We got to play it. Here we go. Hey, Ryan. Um, I saw on Rivals um, that Ken Tureen was taking an official visit to Nebraska. Um, I was wondering where he was with his commitment to the Trojans. Uh, see if there's anything to worry about about him not going to USC next year. All right. Thank you. Short one there for you, Gerard. What do you think? Um, I, he did take his official visit to Nebraska, and he's going to still visit Georgia. And, um, you know, there's a couple schools kind of floating around in there for him. He's still committed to USC. I think it's kind of a, a little bit of a wait and see with him. I mean, he is out there in Florida, and this is, again, you know, kind of one of the issues that you're talking about with, you know, the, the, the sanctions and maybe a little bit of uncertainty with USC. He really, I think, the thing about Kent Tureen is he spent almost a week out here over the summer. And I think that was kind of a big deal for him and, and becoming acclimated with the coaching staff and the players on the team. And I just don't know if there's going to be another team to be able to make him feel as comfortable as USC did when he took that unofficial visit. He still has his official visit to take to USC. That will happen January 14th. Um, but he did, you know, officially visit Nebraska uh, just this weekend. I think it was 23 degrees in Nebraska. He being from Fort Lauderdale, I don't know if that's going to be the place for him. Uh, you know, Georgia, I think, is really kind of maybe a dark dark school for him. LSU is recruiting him uh, pretty hard, but it looks like their numbers are kind of full at linebacker, and I don't know if they're really going to keep after him. And uh, we'll see what happens with the Florida schools. We'll see what happens with Miami. I think Miami would be more of an interesting school if all of a sudden they wanted to start recruiting him. Um, and I think, obviously, the defenses those two schools run will be a big deal for him. I mean, he wants to play in a 4-3, and if either of those schools go into a 3-4, that's going to kind of totally change things. And I'll even throw a little additive out there that's completely off topic. Uh, Anthony Chiquillo is another player that committed to Miami for a long time. Dad went to Miami. Grandfather played in Miami. Big-time Miami guy. Al Golden's now the coach at Miami, and there's a lot of talk he's going to bring in the 3-4. And I don't think Anthony Chiquillo is too uh, excited about the 3-4 as a defensive end. We're going to have to see how that goes. I mean, USC and Tennessee are the two other schools that he wanted to visit officially. It sounds like he'll be here uh, in January uh, to officially visit USC. And with all of those ties to Tampa, Monty Kiffin and Lane Kiffin, you kind of wonder what will happen there if he doesn't decide to go to Miami. Cool. All right, Gerard. Well, great stuff as always, and thanks for squeezing in that last question. We don't want to skip over any voicemail questions. If you get bothered to call in, we wanted to get it on the air. But we appreciate all the questions and stuff. We appreciate you, Gerard. Everyone else? Thanks very much for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week on the Fairstyle Podcast. You've been listening to the Fairstyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Music